Morning, church. How are we doing? I want to say good morning to Building A as well. We've got folks over in another sanctuary. If you're a guest here, we had two sanctuaries going at the same time. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we, we're in a series on Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians. Start finding your way there. Uh, we've been in Ephesians since the beginning of January, and we're getting toward the end of it. Uh, last week, I talked about um, parents, and, and I've been talking about husbands and wives, and, and I mentioned last week about how my wife loves plants. And so this week, sure enough, we've got a beautiful plant given from a church member waiting in my office, a, a, a beautiful set of flowers that I personally think were for me and not her. And so I, I mentioned she loves plants. We got plants. I want you to know that I love Porsches. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. You know? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I had a friend sitting out on a, a back deck of his, of his house one day, and he's watching this weird thing unfold. It was a couple of county workers, and they had their hard hats on, their vests, and, and they're out there, and he watched this. There was one guy who would dig a hole three feet deep, three feet wide, and the second guy would come, he'd fill the hole back up. And the guy would dig a hole, he'd fill the hole back up. And my friend said, I've got to go ask what they're doing. So he walked out there, he said, what are you guys doing? I watched you dig a hole, and the other guy fills it. He said, well, we're a three-man tree-building team, and the middle guy called in sick. It'll hit you in a minute. Thank you. Do you ever feel like your work is kind of like that? You, you kind of lose clarity on why you do what you do. You just kind of go through the motions that, for a lot of us, the Christian life is kind of coming on Sunday morning, we worship, and then we get some kind of midweek Bible study to kind of pump us up through the week, and, and the rest of life is just clocking in. Does the Bible talk about Monday mornings? Does the Bible have a doctrine of theology of how to be a good employee and a good boss? How many of you guys have a boss? Anybody have a boss? How many of you guys actually supervise other people? Raise your hand. If, you, if your boss attends here and he's a bad boss, would you just point him out for me? <laughs> We all have to live, and, and by the way, if, if you're a, raise your hand if you're a homemaker. Any homemakers here? Okay, you have a boss too. You, you're unsupervised, but yet you're not. We're going to talk about that. Uh, if any students here today, you have a boss when you're at school. Jesus is our boss as Christians. And so we're going to talk today about what it means to be a good employee and a good employer. Let me read the verses, and then we're going to give you some background information. Ephesians 6, I'm going to start in verse 5. The ESV says bond servants. Most of your translation says slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he'll receive back from the Lord, whether he's a slave or is free. Masters do the same thing to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master is yours in heaven as well, and that there is no partiality with him. <clears throat> and I've got some allergies going today, so don't worry. I'm going to drink and snort a little bit, but don't mind it. Slavery. When I say slavery, we think about American slavery, don't we? We think about white people owning black people. And I've said this before, that if I were a preacher in the deep south during that time, I probably would have gone to jail because I abhor slavery. Um, here's the thing, though. The Bible, nowhere does it call for the eradication of slavery. And so this text today has been used against and for slavery for generations. 
There's a lot of people who preach this text saying the Bible doesn't say that slavery is wrong, so therefore the Bible's not against slavery, so we should continue slavery. It just talks about how to do it better. And, and this text that we're talking about today has separated denominations in our country. The slave issue, issue separated churches, and it separated denominations, and it separated families. And a lot of our northern denominations went north. A lot of our southern denominations became more south because of this issue, because of this text. Now, slavery during the time of Paul when he's writing this letter is different from the way you and I view American slavery. You and I view American slavery, it's a racial thing. It's whites, black. It's, it's white people owning black people. It's your children, when you're born in slavery, you become property of the master of the, of the property. So when that master dies, they would bequeath those slaves, those children, to the next in, in kin and generation, and those children become your servants at that point. Uh, slavery was a very ugly thing in our country. And I hear a lot of times, and I've heard preachers say this, that all of our founding fathers were believers. I think some of our family, founding fathers were believers. I also think there's a difference between professing belief and actually possessing Christ. And some of our founding fathers were deists. Some of our founding fathers were universalists. And they believed that each person is, is, is created in the image of God, which I totally agree. That's biblical. They also believe that that gives us inalienable rights. That's biblical as well. The 13th Amendment called for the eradication of slavery, which, which, which I agree biblically. But then representation in this country differed if you were white or if you were black. If you were a black man or woman in this country, you were seen as literally 60% a human being according to rights. So you were three-fifths human in representation. So in our country, you had human beings, you had machinery and cattle and property, and black men and women were seen as three-fifths in the middle of that. And that's what caused the civil rights movement. That's what caused Martin Luther King and his teaching. And it changed our country finally after ridiculous decades and centuries of what I consider to be very embarrassing for our country. So when I talk slavery, we think American slavery. This slavery is different in, this, in the Bible. Slavery is talked about seven times in the New Testament, seven different books, seven different epistles. It's a big deal. In the Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves at the time that Paul is writing this. One-third of, of large cities like Corinth and Ephesus and Rome were slaves in that city. One-third, two-thirds owner, one-third slaves. So you had in the church, you had masters and you had servants in the church. It would not be uncommon for a slave to teach, disciple, lead over a master. And you can imagine when that slave and master would go home, that, that bitterness that could form in a slave's heart toward his master, that we are now brothers in Christ and I should no longer serve you in this way. Or even worse, if your master is an unbeliever, because you read your Bible and you hear that they are, he's a fool and he doesn't understand truth and is not wise, and you have the wisdom and the richness of the truth of Christ in your life, and you start to grow contempt toward that master, you can see the problems that were caused. Slavery was very different during this time. 50% of slaves were freed by the time they turned 30. So you were not in slavery the rest of your life. Your children were not born into slavery. Uh, slavery served some purposes during this time period. Now, people have asked me, why does the Bible not call for the eradication of slavery? I think if the Bible called for eradication of slavery in this text, it would have caused more sin in this culture. Let me explain. We talked about a few weeks ago that when babies were born and a Roman father did not want the girl, he would throw the girl outside to die. 
And then peddlers would come and take these children and sell them into prostitution or sell them into slavery. If Christians called for the eradication of slavery in this culture, those kids would have been left there and they would have died as opposed to bringing them in even into a place of slavery or prostitution. At this time, there were a lot of uh, times where you could go into slavery because you owed someone something and you could work it off, kind of like a, a payment plan. And, and so Paul did not want to eradicate this thought of, hey, by the way, master, I know I owe you this money. I know I, I, I owe you this service, but I'm a Christian now and Jesus has paid my debt, so you just have to take it up with him. Can you imagine calling it Visa? Hey, Visa, I'm a Christian now. Jesus paid my debts. Take it up with him. And so there would have been sin calls in that, and the lender would not have what the lender was owed. There were also times in this culture where someone would actually sell themselves into slavery because they were better off financially in slavery than they were as free people. Uh, slaves could own property. Slaves could even have other slaves. Slavery in this time was not a racial thing, that all races had slaves, and sometimes slaves had other slaves who were actually the same race. So it wasn't a black-white thing. It was just a servitude issue. Now, granted, some masters probably did not take care of their servants, and some took great care of their servants, just like in our country as well. But the Bible sees slavery all through the scriptures. Joseph was sold into slavery. Moses was a slave in a country where his, his nation became a slave. Daniel was a slave to Cyrus. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was a slave. David had slaves in his house. So you see this slavery issue. Nehemiah was a, a slave to Cyrus. You see this slavery issue all through the scriptures. Here's what the scriptures does. The scriptures paints masters who mistreat those in service to them as very evil, wicked people. And that one day God will recompense bad masters. Matter of fact, the Bible makes pretty clear that Jesus said to love your neighbor, which is different from owning your neighbor. Was Jesus a master or was he a servant? I would say both. He was king of kings, lord of lords. He is master over all things. But then he gave up his rights and took the form of a servant. Jesus was the best master ever to live and the greatest servant to ever live all at the same time. Now let me ask this question. Do we like rights or responsibilities more? We love rights. We love rights in this country. We'll shirk responsibilities, but we love rights. Courtrooms are filled with litigation, not over, over responsibilities, but over someone's rights. Think about Paul, what he's been doing through this text so far. He talked to the wives. He said, wives, you are to follow and submit to your husbands and respect them. Does Paul talk about a woman's rights or her responsibilities? Responsibilities. Husbands, you are to nourish and cherish and love your wives. Is he talking to husbands about rights or responsibilities? responsibilities. Kids, you are to obey your parents. Does it talk about a kid's rights or responsibilities? Parents, do not exasperate your children. Rights or responsibilities? This whole text, Paul is talking about your responsibility as a believer. We like rights. We tend to shirk responsibilities. Let me ask it another way. Are Christmas business owners in Austin saying, I've got to hire more Christians because that will bless my company and it'll do so much better because of their work ethic. No. You know why? Because Christians love rights more than responsibilities. Here's how Christians think just like non-Christians. I have a bad boss, I'll be a bad employee. I have a boss that never works hard, I'm not going to work hard. I have a boss that's immoral, I'm not going to work hard for him or her. 
Do you have a boss as an employee? Yes. His name is Jesus. Your boss, being a Christian or a non-Christian, has nothing to do with how you work your job. Joseph, did you work hard as a shepherd? Yes, I did, and they gave me the whole flock. Joseph, did you work hard under Potiphar? Yes, I did, and he gave me his whole house. Joseph, did you work hard under the jailer? I did, and they gave me the whole jail. Joseph, did you work well under Pharaoh? I did, and he gave me the whole country. Your performance as an employee has nothing to do with what your boss believes about Jesus or not. You have a boss. Homemakers, you have a boss. Jesus is your boss. Students, you have a boss. Jesus is your boss. So look again at verse 5. Here's what he says to us as employees. Employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Obey your master as you would Christ. I don't think that employee-employer application is a far-fetched application for this text. I think in our culture, none of us are slave owners, none of us are masters. I think this is a great application for this text. But I wanted to give you the background of who Paul is writing this to. Obey your bosses with sincerity of heart, with respect. Christians should be better employees than non-Christians. Others in your company may surf the internet and do social media when they should be working, but as a Christian, you work hard. Others can show up late but say they came on time, but you don't do that. Others can steal from the company for personal use, but as a Christian, you and I don't do that. We have a boss. You are to respect, sincerely respect, with your heart, the person that God has placed in authority over you. That respect has nothing to do with his or her integrity, his or her belief system. It says, with fear and trembling, respectfully, be a good employee. Pastor, I have a non-Christian boss. Doesn't matter. Let me show you a couple of verses. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 2. It says, let all who are under a yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God in the teaching may not, look what it says, be reviled. Your Bible may say that it may not be blasphemed. Those who have a believing master must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit from their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. So here's what Paul is saying. You've got a Christian boss, then you should serve even harder because you want to honor that brother in Christ. You've got a non-Christian boss, you should serve them harder because you don't want to blaspheme the testimony of the Lord. How well does it go when you try to evangelize at work when you're a sorry employee? If you don't work hard at work and you coarse jest about your boss just like everyone else does, and you are what we would call two-faced, the boss is coming, you smile. The boss walks by, you make a joke about him. That you treat your boss the same in public as you do in private. And there's no talk around the water cooler or the break room because you are a Christian. And some of us do not love sincerely that way. We don't work sincerely. That word sincere, with a sincere heart, it literally means without wax in the Greek. It's an understanding of when pottery was being made during this time. 
and they would have a flaw. They would have a crack in the pottery. What the maker of the pottery would do is they would take wax and they would fill the cracks in with the wax. If you got a piece of pottery that was flawless without wax, it would have a stamp without wax. And the way you would know is you would take that piece of pottery and you would hold it up to the sun. It was sun-tested. And you could tell whether that piece of pottery was legitimate or not. Folks, your job is held up by the Lord. It is sun-tested to see if you are without blemish or not. You may not think your job is spiritually significant, but I promise you Satan does. Satan understands if you do something 40, 50, 60 hours a week, the bulk of your time is at your job. If he can shelve you spiritually at your job because you're a sorry employee just like everybody around you, then he can take you out of ministry. Because you and I, we tend to shut down witness when our integrity doesn't match. At least we have a consciousness there, and we'll just kind of shut it down. We are to have a sincere heart, one without wax. It literally means a singleness of heart without duplicity. What does it mean to have a, be a person of duplicity? It means we're a hypocrite. So we see our boss walking. We're playing solitaire. He walks up. All of a sudden, it turns into a spreadsheet. He walks by. It goes back to solitaire. That's a life of duplicity. Non-Christians may do that. Christians don't do that. Folks, as a Christian, whether you're supervisor or not, you work as unto the Lord. Would it make any difference this morning if you are actually working for Jesus this week in the way you work? If so, that amount of difference is sin in our lives. We are to be sincere employees, respecting our bosses. It says, with fear and respect. I believe our culture has a mania for mediocrity. We live in a business climate where a handshake doesn't mean anything anymore. A contract doesn't mean anything anymore. Someone's word doesn't mean anything anymore. Christians are supposed to be different. You can't separate your work world from your spiritual life. It's all the same life. We are not men and women of duality. We are men and women of integrity, integer, oneness. That how you are in private about your boss is how you are in public about your boss. A sincere heart. I have a bad boss, though, so I'm going to be a bad employee. So what you're saying is because other people around me are sinning, I feel justified in sinning. Or maybe you say, I have a terrible boss. I promise you your boss is no worse than a slave owner who Paul is writing this to. You get to go home at night and get in your bed and take a shower. These people did not. And Paul is saying how your boss treats you is not the issue. You have a boss, and his name is Jesus. Are Are you understanding this, church? Church starts when you leave this building. I grew up with the mentality of we're going to church, we're attending church, we're at church, we're leaving church, right? Church is unleashed in about 20 minutes out of this building. And then where you go is your mission field. If you're a banker, a lawyer, a teacher, a songwriter, that's your ministry. That's your mission field. And that is just as significant as what I do during the week. Matter of fact, you have opportunities in your job. I never get my job. I'm with Christians all the time. It's quite boring. You just go to work and you're surrounded by ministry opportunity. If you go to your office and say, hey, my senior pastor's coming to work this week. He's going to talk to us in the break room. They don't want to hear from me. They're going to shut down. That's why I lie about what I do for a living most of the time. They're just going to shut down. You have opportunities I will never have. And it is just as spiritually significant. Satan knows it because the way you do your job will either, Titus says, adorn the testimony of the gospel, or as Timothy says, it will blaspheme the testimony of the gospel. 
there are no two lives in our life as Christians. Look with me at verse 6 again. He says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants or as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. You do not work for that boss. You work for God under that boss. He says from the heart. It literally literally means to be a a cheerful employee. And we we hire people quite often here at, at Austin Ridge as we've continued to grow. We've had to hire more people. And we can teach DNA. We can teach culture. We can say this is the way we do things at Austin Ridge. We can, we can help even skill somewhat, but it's hard to teach attitude, and it's hard to teach work ethic. Either someone has it or they don't. You ever work with someone, or maybe you do now, with just a sorry attitude? I'll give you an example, not of our staff, someone else. I, worked, I had some crummy jobs. I used to deliver pizzas. Like, I can totally stall long enough for you to say, keep the change. I'll, I'll just learn how to get money out of people. I, I, uh, I was a produce guy at a grocery store. I'd show up at 4 a.m. and get in and out of the freezer and sprinkle all the lettuce and all that stuff. Um, I worked at a, I, was a, I used to bag groceries. I've cleaned in kitchens. One of, my, one of my jobs I had was I unloaded trucks at a grocery store in high school. I made $3.35 an hour. That was minimum wage. Some of you are going, I can't believe that. Yes, $3.35 an hour. And what we do is we, these trucks would back up to the grocery store. We had these little dolly things we push under the crates. We pump the crate up. We pull it out. We unload it. And I was so excited because $3.35 an hour, I can get like more cassette tapes for my car. I can just, I can take girls out. I'm going to be loaded. I can make like $200 in a week. And so I got in there. I was working hard. I'm pumping those crates up. I'm pulling them out. I'm, and I noticed everybody in the trucks just standing there watching me. They're like, what are you doing? like, I'm working hard. Let's go. They're like, they pulled me aside. Hold on for a minute. You don't understand. When you work faster, they give us more work to do. You need to slow down. Folks, when you have a Protestant Reformation work ethic, when you work as unto the Lord, people around you are not going to like it. Christians should be curve busters in our work ethic. People won't like it because you make them look bad. Pastor, when I work harder, my boss gives me more, but it doesn't compensate me for more. You work as unto the Lord. Keep working hard. Because one day, we call it heaven, all things will be compensated by our boss. So he says, you work as unto the Lord. How do you work for a rotten boss? Maybe you have a rotten boss. I'm going to show you a few verses. This is from 1 Peter chapter 2. How do you work for a rotten boss? 1 Peter says, Peter says, servants... Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Your boss may be one of justice. Your boss may be one of unjustice. Your job is to work mindful of who your boss is. Not mindful of who your boss is in the flesh, but who your heavenly boss is. How you work for a horrible boss says a lot about your theology. It said a lot about Joseph. It said a lot about Nehemiah. It said a lot about Daniel. May I suggest this? If you're unfaithful as a good employee, then you're going to be unfaithful for God to give you more opportunities for bigger ministry. A lot of times God puts you in a menial task just to see how faithful you're going to be. Look with me at verse 8. 
He says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or is free. What motivation does Paul use that you and I should be good employees? Heavenly reward. It's interesting that that's his motivation, right? So why should I be a good employee when I work for such a jerk? Because there will be a heavenly recompense. We talk about this a lot, but one day, as Christians, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will be judged, even those of us saved by grace through faith, we will be judged for all those things that we were given to do. And our goal is that Jesus looks at us and says, well done, my good and faithful what? Servant. Not master, servant. Well done. You have done the things that I've placed before you to do. Are you doing unto the Lord what God has given you to do as a good employee? Are you serving unto the Lord? How are you doing with what he's given you? See, we put status on position, title, salary. The Bible puts status on faithfulness. For 30 years, Jesus was a blue-collared guy in a shabby town working a job. He was a carpenter for 30 years. I don't think for a minute that when Joseph turned his back on his son and walked out of the shop that Jesus just started goofing off because it says that he was without sin. I think it means that he built great tables and great chairs because he was a good employee. And I think Jesus was just as significant spiritually building tables and chairs as he was when he walked on water and fed 5,000 and raised Lazarus from the dead. I think it was just as glorifying and honoring to God. He was leading a job. It was just as spiritual when he was 28 as when he was 32. I think, for example, I may be incriminating myself, I think a lot of times pastors are lazy. Because a lot of us, you have a job. My, my job is basically unsupervised a, lot of part, a big part of the week. And I can tell people I'm going to pray. Well, who's going to question that? Are you really praying? I'm going to go read my Bible. I'm going to go meditate. I'm going to go visit someone in the hospital. I'm going to go do some counseling. I may be down at Hat Creek eating a cheeseburger. But you don't know that. I struggle with the other side of it. I struggle. I think about work all the time. I've got to be careful to keep that in perspective. I mean, I go to bed thinking about what God's doing at Austin Ridge. I wake up thinking about what God's doing at Austin Ridge. We've got to be careful. And I want you to know our staff works hard. We, we encourage them to work hard. But we also want to encourage them to have a personal relationship with Christ that is outside of just working for you. Our staff, they are a great group of folks. I love our team. I love hanging out with them. I can't wait for retreats. I love, having, I love spending time with them. These are men and women I'd hang out with if we weren't working together. But a lot of those guys and gals will be unsupervised because ministry is hard. How do you measure if you're a good pastor or not? How many people did you lead to Christ this week? How many miracles did you see happen? How many prayers? It, it, you can't. Some of you have jobs like that, don't you? You homemakers? You housewives? You have jobs like that, don't you? How can you tell if you did a good job as a mom this week when no one died? <laughs> How do you know? You have a boss. His name is Jesus. That, that's... That's our motivation. Let's look at verse 9. I want to talk to some of the bosses. If you supervise people, verse 9 is for you. Verse 9 says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Many of you are in authority over people. Here's the managerial golden rule. 
I need to compensate others the way I want to be compensated. I need to respect others the way I want to be respected. I need to care about others the way I want to be cared for. I need to have a work environment for others the way I want to have a work environment. Bosses, let me put it another way. You, as a supervisor of people, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, one day will be held accountable before the Lord on how you manage the people that God has entrusted to your leadership. I will be held accountable to how I've led the 52 employees at Austin Ridge Bible Church. I will be held accountable to how I lead my family. I will be accountable to how I lead my wife. I will be accountable to how I walk with my Lord. Bosses, there is accountability in that. I told you this story before. I was at Northwest Bible Church up in Dallas. I was on staff. A gal got up. I mean, I'm sorry, a guy got up and he was praying. He was praying when he scraped the Milky Way prayers, you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, our Father who art in the universe. And I'm sitting by this girl, didn't know her. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I hear, <sighs> and I looked at her, I said, you know this guy? I work for him. You see, there was a disconnect. He's one way here when he prays in front of everybody, but he is a jerk to work for. Men and women, if you supervise people, we are going to be held accountable for how we treat those people. Jesus is the example. He's the ultimate boss. He's the ultimate employee. I don't feel like I'm paid enough. I don't feel like I'm appreciated enough. You will be appreciated enough one day. You will be recompensed one day. But for now, you be faithful. Jesus is your boss. Bosses, you need to lead your employees the way Jesus Leads you. High school football in high school. I'll tell you what I dreaded about it. Game tape Monday. Because you play on Friday night. And the whole time you're playing, you, you got in your head, all this is being videotaped by the coaching staff. And then when you show up on Monday, it was videotape game day. And they, it was, you can't hide from the videotape. They, they would sit there, and the coach had this little button, fast forward to reverse. Fast forward. Look at that. Thomas, what are you doing? Where are you? Where are you supposed to be, Tom? What are you doing? Just back, forth, back. And I'm like, oh, gosh. You hated video Monday morning. What does it look like for you and I to live life as an employee, as a boss, understanding that one day there's going to be a videotape game day? We're going to stand before the throne one day, and we're going to see this is how you did with what I gave you to do. How are you doing as an employee? Dads, let me say it this way. I believe that most children either grew up not liking church, not trusting church, or not liking work, or trusting their boss based on what you talk about at the dinner table. Let me say it this way. Dads, you come home, you want your children to obey you, you want your children to understand authority, and then you sit at the dinner table and there's someone that's in authority over you that God has placed in authority over you and you just badmouth and, and ramrod this boss in front of your family. Why do you think your child is going to do something in obedience that you're not willing to do yourself? But you don't know my boss. I do know your boss. His name is Jesus. And you work as unto the Lord. The Bible says you either adorn theology or you blaspheme the testimony based on how you serve. There was an article up in a, in a paper in Toronto years ago. It's called the Toronto Tribune. And this, this author of this article, he said, I'm trying to find some good mechanics for people to go to. I, I feel like, and some of you are mechanics, I feel like 
there's a fear in our culture of mechanics going to rip me off because we don't know about cars. And you're like, yeah, you need this hose and you need this screw and you need this and this and it's going to cost this. And we don't know what you're talking about. And so what he did was he pulled the, the wire off his spark plug in his car and he would go to mechanic to mechanic and find out what they would charge. And so a few miles from the place, he would pull that off and the car just clunk, 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 clunk. And he just sounded horrible. He'd pull in, the mechanic would raise the hood. Yeah, you got this and this. We need to do this. It's going to be a few hours. And he said they charge anywhere from $200 to $1,000 at every mechanic. Pulled off the spark plug wire. Until he came up to this country station, this full-service gas station. And this old mechanic named Fred came walking out. Fred says, sounds like you got a mess there, son. I don't know what's wrong. I just I was coming down the road. He, old Fred opened the hood. He says, well, your spark plug wires is, is, is off. Put spark plug wire. Try it now. Pured like a cat. Put the hood down. Put his hanky in his pocket. He says, sir, what do I owe you for doing that? You don't owe me anything. That didn't cost me anything. He wrote the article the next week. He talked about Fred the mechanic had more impact in this community than any evangelist, politician, lawyer, litigator, teacher, coach, in all of Toronto. Folks, what you do is spiritually life-changing for someone. Church starts at noon for Austin Ridge every week. How you serve matters. And the greatest news of all is that God has spiritually freed us from the bondage of sin, our slavery. We were all slaves. We're born as slaves. We're going to die as slaves. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead for our freedom. And he has released us, and now we are freed men and freed women, free to serve, free to be good employees, free to be good bosses, free to be more like Jesus. You with me, church? So what you do this week matters. Jesus is just as real on a Thursday as it is on a Sunday morning. Worship begins now, and you're going to worship the rest of the week. Worship is not an event. It is a lifestyle of living, and we do that every week. People ought to want to come to me and say, I need a good employee, and I know if they go to Austin Ridge, they'll be good. Who can I hire? And the flip side, there's been people that have wanted to be in leadership roles here, and I've heard from people who work for them, and they say, don't hire them. Don't put them in that leadership role. Because he is different here on a Tuesday than you see on a Sunday, and we can't put him in leadership. There is no duality in our lives, folks. Everything we do from this moment to this moment next week is about Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that your word is always so practical, and there's there's no pieces of a pie that we can divide up spiritually, that you are the whole pie. And that everything we do matters and that how we do our jobs this week and how we supervise people this week is working as unto you. And it so greatly matters. I pray that we'd be good employees this week. I pray that we'd be great bosses this week. I pray that we'd live more like Jesus this week. I pray that we'd serve well. It's in the name of Jesus, the ultimate boss and ultimate servant that we pray. Amen.